Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to take communion today. Uh, so if you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to... Uh, you know, participate with us if you're comfortable doing that. We won't do it till the end of the service, so just hold on to that, and I'll guide you through it uh, at the end. Well, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, message from Jesus to a multitude of people on a hill, and we're making our way through chapter 5, where Jesus is clarifying for us the kind of character that describes a person who lives in his kingdom, who's attached to him, who lives under his rule. And one of the things, obviously, chapter 5 is repeatedly trying to get across is that to be a good person, to live the kind of life Jesus is describing, you have to be, uh, you have to be concerned about more than just keeping laws, external laws, or breaking them. So he has a much deeper concern for purity and for people. Uh, and we've visualized that over and over again with this little thing here. Uh, you have these external laws, and you don't want to cross that line because this would be the external. You don't want to do those things. But Jesus is saying, I have concerns about your heart long before we ever cross these lines. And so he's teaching us what it, what it means to have the kind of heart that not just that doesn't just want to cross those big lines or break those big commandments, but to live the kind of life that doesn't want to hurt people, that doesn't want to betray people, uh, that doesn't want to break promise. Uh, and so there's an inward and outward component to the life Jesus offers. Internal and external congruency, your private life, your public life. Jesus has done a good job of connecting those. And one of the things that you get enlightened about when you come to know Christ is that the inside of you matters, not just the outside. So lust is an issue because it affects people. That's one of the things we've learned. What's in my heart affects people. Even if I didn't cross these lines, the way I'm living and the way my heart is operating can still devalue people. So anger is another one. It affects me and it affects others. They're, they're, they're always connected. My character impacts other people. Now, um, I happen to be uh, Saturday morning, uh, doing just reading through Luke, reading painstakingly kind of slow through Luke. And I came to this paragraph, and it was interesting in light of this. Uh, this, is, this is what Jesus had just done some teaching. And uh, a Pharisee, one of the religious people that Jesus is talking about in this text, invites him over for dinner. And when they sit down, they recline at the table. This is all coming before. 
The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Don't read this to your kids. All right, like, Jesus didn't do it. He didn't wash. Okay? Now, Jesus knows he's thinking that. And so he says to him, you know, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So we go from this hand-washing issue, which is what he's meant there, and then Jesus brings up the cup and the dish, because the cup and the dish represented sort of all of the purification things. And Jesus just is expanding the idea, and what he's trying to say is there is a true kind of purity. You can't just be worried about the external. Your heart, the inside of you, is filled with greed and wickedness, and you're worried about the fact that I didn't wash my hands. That's what Jesus said. And the inside and the outside matter. And so, this was amazing. That's just, that's dumb. And then this is his rationale. Struck me. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? An appeal to creation? Think about that. True purity means the heart counts. And Jesus appeals to creation, like the unity of creation. I didn't just make the outside of you. I made the inside too. You're one whole unit. You can't divide the inner and the outer self. That kind of hypocrisy is an affront to your creator. One commentator wrote, if cups are subject to God's sovereignty, how much more our hearts. And then he uses an illustration here. You want to not be greedy? You want to show that you're not greedy with an external act? Act from within. Give alms, caring for the poor, actually, from inside. Because what you want is a heart that gives, cares about people. If your inside is right, you'll care about people in ways that are transforming, that really value people. So Jesus is connecting the inside and the outside all the time. And it's a real pain to do that, to live that way. We all know the angst every day. There are times when we just far, feel far better to just show a front, even though on the inside we're eat up with any hateful, evil thing. To connect them is painful. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has this section. It's really good. And it's called The Parts of Morality. And he says there are two ways the human machine, which is about the inside and the outside, the relationships versus what's, what's in me. Two
two ways in which the human machine goes wrong. How does this all go wrong morally? Well, one of them is when, it, when human individuals drift apart from one another or collide with one another and do each other damage by cheating, bullying, a hundred other ways. So we, we hurt each other. That's the external relational side. The other one, he says, is when things go wrong on, in, on the inside of the individual, long before he's hurt anyone specifically, when the parts of him, his faculties and desires, drift apart or interfere with another. You can get the idea plain if you think of us as a fleet of ships. This is, I, I like this visual. Imagine just all of us as human beings operating together. We're just a fleet of ships. Sailing in formation. The voyage will be a success only in the first place if the ships do not collide and get in each other's way. Secondly, if each ship is seaworthy and has her engines in good order. So there's two parts. I got to make sure my ship is running right. That's my heart. And I got to make sure that I'm treating people well. That's, that's sailing in formation. And both of them are critical. In fact, he will say, as a matter of fact, you can't have either of these two things without the other. If the ships keep on having collisions, they will not remain seaworthy. They hurt themselves. On the other hand, if the steering gears are out of order, they will not be able to avoid collisions. So at the same time I'm monitoring my relationships, I've got to monitor my heart too and make sure my ship is in good order, that the gears are working right. Otherwise, the relationships will go bad. And Jesus is saying you can't disconnect those. And the external alone is not enough. Too much damage. And we've been dealing with heavy stuff like anger and sex and showing how all these things are inner gears that make us treat people poorly. Today we turn our attention to some, another element that Jesus is going to bring up, and that's truth-telling. Integrity, honesty, which is a huge problem today in our society, and in our culture. What we say, our speech, impacts others. So you see the connection in C.S. Lewis. What I say to you impacts our relationship. But what I say comes out of my heart. Words come from the heart. And so what one writer said, Jesus wants to protect our speech as much as he does sex. Because both of them say something about our heart and both of them can do damage to people. So we get to verse 33 and we come to this topic uh, this issue of, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. It's one of the commandments not to lie. Uh, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So we're talking about this kind of vow or oath. In the Old Testament, this is what Jesus is referring to by, by, by bringing this up. I know you guys have heard it said, you know, these oaths, you know, don't, don't lie. 
Well, here's what was happening that makes Jesus bring this up and help us understand the true honesty. Uh, in the Old Testament, which is what he's speaking of here, uh, people's, you couldn't take people at, your, at their word. It's very similar to our culture sometimes. It's a very frustrating thing. And so you almost have to create a device to help human beings be a little more honest. And one of them was to create oaths. And so God sort of said, well, let's, let's institute sort of an oath thing. So you've got to stop lying to each other and creating so much chaos. It was kind of like the divorce thing. Divorce isn't what I ever wanted. I had to cr- come up with a legal document so that you people would stop hurting each other with that. You know, sending each other off. So I had to create a legal document to deal with the chaos. Now I've got to deal with another issue. I've got I to come up with an oath system to keep you guys honest. And so... Uh, they were intended to to keep us honest. And in that sense, they were useful. And there were very terrible consequences for violating. It was a serious matter to lie, as you would imagine. It's one of the top ten. Aren't you glad it's one of the top ten? This is a real pain to deal with a liar. Have you ever dealt with one? I'm sure you have. Well, the people in Jesus' day, it started in the Old Testament, it continued right up into the culture today. They started putting, they started, they came up with a creative way to use oaths and still lie. So they started using oaths for everything. And they created this elaborate system of which oaths uh, you had to keep and which oaths you didn't. I was, leave it to us to come up with a way to spiritually sort of get around lying. Use spiritual words, still deceive. And that's what they were doing. Uh, and when you, when, you, when, you, when you, essentially when you were making an oath, you were calling God as a witness to a statement you were making. All right? and, you, and because you said the oath, you, you sort of invoked a curse on yourself if you didn't keep it. And so uh, it became a spiritual sort of verbal device, but it actually left God out of the system. Remember, the Jews didn't want to swear to God because they didn't want to say God's name. And so what they started doing was swearing to different items, like sacred items that sort of represented God. This is how elaborate it got. And they, they, they wrote treaties on these levels of oath-taking. And Jesus calls them out on it in Matthew 23. It'll help us understand this a little better. Listen to what he says to them. You blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, that doesn't mean anything. So one of the things they swore by was the temple. I swear on the temple. The temple was supposed to be a sacred place. You'd assume that would be a pretty significant oath and a promise. But you say it's nothing. But if somebody swears by the gold of the temple, then he has to keep it. You see the inconsistency and the manipulation. Uh, I didn't swear by the gold. That's why. 
And then he says, you blind fools again. Which is greater, the gold in the temple or that which is, makes the gold sacred, which is the temple? And so Jesus is just calling them out. And he says, you guys say if you swear by the altar, that doesn't mean anything. But if, you, if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. This is the kind of things they were doing, all to get around lies. Sounds spiritual. The temple, the altar. So you can manipulate people with that. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Jesus is saying, you're making distinctions that don't exist. It gets worse. Whoever swears by the altar swears by it. And here's what Jesus is saying. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You swear by that, you swear by everything in it. You don't get to make distinctions. And here's the real point. Whoever swears by the temple swears not just by it, but by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. In other words, you can't disconnect me from any of these pious little oaths and items, sacred items. And separate me from them. I'm present in all of them. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't get away from me. They had created levels of uh, seriousness. Oh, oh. No, on which they took oath. And he's basically saying, God's a part of all of that. He's everywhere. He's always before you. You can't avoid him. And so the principle for our lives is to imagine that God is always right here with us because that's what the text is saying. He's always right here with us. And if you knew he was right here with you, you'd probably say a different thing or do a different thing. And they had somehow created a category in their lives like sometimes we do with the inside. Well, God's not in there. Certainly God wouldn't see this. And you can start to see where that becomes problematic. Pretty soon you're operating as if God isn't even a part of that world. How devastating is that going to be on your life and your relationships? There's a country song. Kid Rock, Show Crow. It's called Picture. It's about a married couple, about a couple. And they're sleeping around on each other, both of them. The theme of the song is, I put your picture away. If you were in the house, I wouldn't have brought her to our house. I wouldn't have brought him to our house to commit adultery. A vow, break a vow. But because you're not there, I, I can do it. And I have to put your picture down because even, even the idea that you might be here would be too much. I couldn't do it in front of your face, so I have to put the picture down. That's essentially what they were doing. They found a way to put God's picture down and imagine him not there so that they could break their promises. And Jesus is saying, I'm everywhere. You can't get away from me. And a kingdom heart doesn't want to get away from me. A kingdom heart wants me present. And so you can see, this is what Jesus is going to say that we're doing. So I'm going to say to you, Jesus says, enough with the oaths. 
Enough with these oaths that you just keep throwing around that are meaningless. You, whether it's by heaven, and by the way, you, you swear on heaven where God is, but we don't say his name. As if that's a big deal. Well, remember, God's throne is there. Uh, you swear by earth. Uh, remember, that's my footstool. I'm there too. Uh, you swear by Jerusalem. Uh, that's the city of the great king. Uh, you swear, uh, you take an oath on your own head. Oh, by the way, even you, you yourself, you ever swear, swear on my life? You ever do that? On your own head. If you swear on your own head, here's what he's saying. You cannot make one here white or black. This is before Clairol, right here. <laughs> the idea is you can't make yourself smarter or younger at the end of the day. It's a great point. We could elaborate on it longer. But here's what Jesus is saying to them. Because here's the top and here's the bottom. All the way to heaven, all the way down to you. I'm everywhere. Don't try to create a world where I don't exist. Where I don't see. Kingdom heart doesn't do that. This is what lies do. I'm going to give you three things lies do. The first thing they do is create a false reality that excludes God. That's what we just did here. We're going to expound on that. The other one is it erodes your character. Every deceitful thing you say or do erodes you on the inside a little bit. Remember, Jesus cares about the inside, and your character does matter to everything else. As you erode, your life will erode. And then finally, you violate human dignity when you do it. And this is another thing Jesus hates. The reason I want to fix your heart is so that you become the kind of person who treats people like they ought to be treated. So let's talk about the first one. False reality excludes God. It actually makes you God when you think about this sort of idea. Um, because when you lie, you manipulate reality. Um, you try to bring about something you need in your life. You have something you want, and you'll create a reality to make it happen. That's playing God, which is essentially what they were doing. Ousting God out, creating their own world. Lying is the epitome of pride. In fact, Jordan Peterson, in his book, The Twelve Rules for Living, or Twelve Rules for Life, says this. Jordan, he writes, fall, you fall in love with your own creations, and you try to make them absolute. Hey, God, you're out. Your presence and your control mean nothing. I will create what I need. Of course, it's a false reality. You do that, of course, to avoid responsibility or to minimize conflict or to appear better than you really are or to be liked or to get attention, whatever it is. But he writes, in that case, there's no need for a transcendent. You don't even need God. You've elevated your own capacity to produce reality. It's a harsh concept. And we have the ability to do it. We trick, we falsify, mislead, betray, prevaricate 
You're like, well, what is prevaricate? I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> it means to create an incorrect impression. Oh, yeah, well, I've done that. I, I, I have done that. I have prevaricated. I have prevaricated. Or you deny or you omit or you rationalize or you minimize or you bias or you exaggerate or you're obscure. You're just hiding. Now, Immanuel Kant had an ethical theory. Undergirds this principle, what Jesus is saying, just sort of supports what our brilliant Savior is saying. He says, when you make a false promise, Kant says this, when you make a false promise, you expect everyone else to act as if it's true. So in other words, you believe in truth, and you believe truth ought to make you do something. When you lie and you present it as truth, you're counting on another human being to consider that true, and because they consider it true, to act on it. He says, you expect everyone to act as if it's true, but you. And then he writes this, and thus treat yourself as an exception. You're the exception to truth. Lies depend on the fact that truths exist. But when you lie, you exempt yourself from it. Treat yourself as an exception. And actually say in a way to human beings, you fool, I tricked you. You must be dumb. Peterson closes out this section with this. There's something sick about the mindset that insists that reality could be improved by our falsification. We think we can create a better world than the one God has. And so Jesus says in verse 34, enough with that game playing. That's what he means by this. Don't be doing that. Now, let me just say this so we don't take this too. I've got to do it through all the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not laying down another law for you to say, oh, I can't, I can't take an oath. Because some people have done that. There's some groups of people that have done it. That's not his point here. His point is, you're, you're the kind of person that doesn't have to give an oath for people to take you at your word. So stop making them. On the other hand, if someone asks you for an oath, it's okay to grant them that. You can get married, walk down an aisle. It's appropriate to make a vow. You get in a court of law and you've got to put your hand on a Bible. It's appropriate for everyone in the room to see you commit to being honest. They're asking you to do it. You don't need the oath, but other people dealing with you might need it for their affirmation. That's okay. But there's no need for you, who are going to be honest in all situations, to flower up your statements with oaths, especially spiritual ones. I swear on a stack of Bibles, man. I swear on a holy God. How many times have you done that? I swear on my... Right? So what does Jesus say we're supposed to do then? 
Let what you say. This is the word used here is the word lagos, where we get our word for word, what you say. Your statements, you're just your everyday common statements. Let your everyday language just be simply a yes or a no. And the text really says your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that, this is a great phrase. Don't flower this up. Because that would come from evil intent. In other words, you have words in your everyday statements. And you might flower them up a little bit to get something you need. And when you do that, that's coming from the evil place. Where's the out of the evil place from? Your heart. It's not what goes into the mouth. Look, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. It's what comes out of the mouth. Comes from an evil place. I'm trying to manipulate or create a reality without God in it. That's evil. And if your heart doesn't have that evil in it, then you won't be manipulative and dishonest. Let's talk about this because it'll bring up our second one. Our first sort of principle was stop creating a reality that's, that, that excludes God. And so now we get to this one here. I want to talk about your, uh, your own character, your own character. It'll erode your own character lies. This is the everyday speech, as I said. He's saying, I want you to be truthful and nothing more. Uh, Nothing else in mind. Don't use words to pad or to puff up. One commentator said, no need for extra linguistic props. We use these to deceive, but, but it's evil. So, you can't have words of integrity if you don't have integrity. You can't expect the words of your mouth to be simple and honest if your heart is deceitful. They go together. John Stott said this, and it's been in my head, been ringing in my head. He just says, it's have a monosyllabic life. Monosyllabic life. Because what he's talking about is your character. This erodes your character if you're not a yes or no person. A monosyllabic life. Just simple, honest, through and through. Not a bunch of syllables to, to hide evil intent. That's what integrity is. It's, Our math folks in here know an integer is a whole number. It's whole, inside and out. If it's not an integer, if it's not whole, it's a fraction. And you get this idea that without integrity, you're just fractured. Kind of a good image for what it means to be deceitful. Just broken. 
not whole. And the idea here is that you be a yes or no person. That's the thing that I want to get. Are you a, are you a yes or no person? Or do you believe one thing and say another? Do you say yes here but no there? Say one thing and do another. At work, you're like this. At home, you're like that. At church, you look like this, but at home or at work or somewhere else, you look completely different. You're not a yes or no person. You're a yes here, but a no there. I'm a yes online or I'm a no online. Does your online life match your real life? In our culture, that's a huge issue. It's like this is if you got two different people completely. And see, what happens in that is your character is deformed. If you've ever lied to someone enough for them to say something like this to you, and maybe you've said it to someone, who are you? Like you don't know them anymore because they've been, they've held in this secret or they have had a, a, a kind of a private existence or they've led you to believe one thing about them and it turns out to be false and you look at them and you go like, I don't even know who you are. That's the identity crisis in lying. And it's not just your identity, it's the identity of other people. Like we don't know who we are after we've dealt with your lies for so long. I had a friend in high school. She was a girlfriend, a great gal, um, who uh, I dated for a couple years. And, uh, and one of the things about their family was, was always the mom and the grandmother and the sister, but the father was never around. He'd pop in once or twice a month for a weekend. And, and as a high school kid, I was just, I was wondering what was going on with that because it was just a little strange. To be there on a weekend when he was there. I, anyway, I was told, and they believed, that he worked, had to travel, and he just couldn't be home. So after I got married and years, some years passed, she called me. She said, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what? She goes, well, you know the situation with my father. And, well, it turns out he had a whole other family in another state and other kids. And it sent that family reeling. And she said, I had to talk to someone who lived the reality with me a little bit and knew enough of it intimately to be able to say, am I nuts? Like, who am I? Like, I'm losing a little bit of my own identity because I'm not sure who I am right now. You can see how that would impact. She goes, obviously, I don't know who that guy is. But I'm not even sure I know who I am because I've lived in this lie. And she needed somebody to reassure her that she wasn't insane. That's what happens. You don't know who you are. In other words, your character just erodes and people will look at you like, I don't even know who you are. These days, I deal with people 
whose lives are destroyed because somebody caught them on video doing something private. And uh, not something they'd have done in front of anybody. But these days you get caught on video. And so uh, it, it, it makes you ask the question. It's probably not a bad one. Because the way you answer this question would be very similar to the way the Pharisees function in this text right here. Like if I was watching you, if you knew tomorrow morning that you were going to be videotaped from the very beginning of the day till the very end of the day, everything you did, what kind of a person do you think you'd be prepared to be? Oh, my goodness. Well, here's essentially what this text is saying. If you would be a better person tomorrow if we watched you, the text is saying, I'm always watching. I'm always here. I'm always present. Maybe you and I are living like Jesus doesn't always see, just like they did. And it erodes your character. Pretty soon you don't know who you are. Let me add at this point right here something else about the yes-no person. What we're talking about here is a person of integrity, yes or no. They're doing the right thing no matter who's watching. Video all you want. I'm doing the right thing right here in this moment. I'm doing the right thing. That's a kingdom heart. I'm yes where I need to be yes, and I'm no where I need to be no, and that's a fact, and that's just that simple. But I want to say something else about this yes and no. Just insert it right here, and that is the ability to say yes or no. Many of us just lack the ability, and we're saying yes to things we should have said no to, and we're saying no to things we should have said yes to. And part of that is your inner wiring in, in, in your own heart. And this is another thing Peterson notes. If you can't say the one that needs to be said, you weaken your character. You betray yourself. You warp your own soul. And pretty soon, you won't even, you won't even be sensitive to when you need to say yes or no. Some of us right now are in dilemmas because we can't say yes and we should and we can't say no and we should. Jesus said, you've complicated life way too much if you're doing that. So don't create a world that God doesn't exist in and exclude him. And don't let your character erode because you're living in a reality, a reality you've created that other people have to manage. And then finally, don't violate human dignity. I mean, all of us know the offense of being lied to. It, it's almost too much to bear when you manipulate other people to get your way. And you say, how do you violate human dignity when you do that? Well, Dallas Willard has a nice little paragraph on this. He says, you know what happens when you use the kind of speech that's designed to get buy-in and override the judgment of others? In other words, you're essentially telling people, 
Take my word. Don't you even think about this. You are a rational, intelligent human being, but I don't want you to use your rationality right now, and I don't want you to use your judgment right now. I want you to take me at my word. That's offensive to a rational human being who ought to be able to make judgments for themselves, not be coerced by you into one. That's the idea here. You know, put you in a situation where you can't refuse. All to get your own way. I had the family over last night. And of course, I just want to be honest with you and say all week long I have been monitoring myself. I've been outside my head listening to my words. It's amazing how many times you can be deceitful. How many times you would desire to be deceitful in everyday life. And so I have not only been listening to myself, but I've also been hearing what else has been said to me. It's put me in a situation where I'm going, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I had the kids over last night. We had the families over, and I made a big dinner. I, I worked, you know, we, we, Gail and I really planned it and worked hard. And my son, Nick, when he comes over, he's the one kid that really loves to get in the hot tub. And I'm cheap, and they know they got to really convince me to do it. And so he calls me up on the way over, and he goes, hey, I heard a rumor you were turning on the hot tub tonight. And I said, that's a lie. That's the first lie. And then he said, uh, well, Dad, just turn it on. I would love it if, uh, I mean, I think we can get in there, and I think if we get in there, I think we have a good conversation about Jesus. <laughs> I think we could have a good conversation about Jesus. And uh, actually, I would really love it if you'd give me your Christmas list when we're in there. So I know what to get you, you know, because I'm like really looking forward to getting you something nice. I fell for it. I fell for it. I'm going to just tell you. I was manipulated. We knew we were playing a game. But that's the kinds of things. You see what I'm talking about? How we will do things like that to get our way. What he was trying to do was bypass my intelligence, my judgment, to do something he wanted done. That, Jesus would say, violates human dignity. I was violated yesterday. I don't know if you guys know that or not. I was violated yesterday by my own family. So Kant, in his thinking about morality, says, don't use people as a means. This is what Jesus despises. Don't use people. Don't, don't use them for lust. And don't use them to get your way. And when you do that, you use people as a means, and people are ends. They are they are to be treated as ends, not means. You say, what does that really look like? Well, here's, uh, Joy Davidman writes this. When you lie, the lies, these, there are lies of gossip that make haters of us. There are lies of advertising that make money of us. I will trick you. Because I want money, and I'll just turn you into money. I turn you into an object. She writes, there are lies of politicians that make power out of us. What you really want is power. 
You're not trying to get anything from me but power. You've turned me into that power. You've turned me into money. You've turned me into hate by what you just said. You're going to tell me something that's going to make me hate somebody. So you, what you do is you just, you just want the hate out of me, you want the money out of me, and you want the power out of me. It's not me you value. That's exactly what Jesus despises. There's lots of ways to, we turn humans into things. You could go online and read this list of lies, and I just went on there. There's a bunch of them. There's the white lies, you know. Well, I'd love to go, but I'm out of town. Well, I wouldn't love to go, and I'm not going to be out of town. I'm going to lie twice to get out of this one. Okay, then there's the broken promises. And I wonder how many times, and we've all done this, catch yourself, when you said yes to something, but you know you're not going to be able to do it because you just want to avoid something right now. Or you say no to something that you're going to do. You're going to do it. You said you wouldn't do it, but you're going to do it. Sort of the broken promise. Then there's the bold-faced lie. I didn't eat the cookie. I'm telling you, I didn't eat it. You just bold-faced lie. Tons of those. Then there's exaggeration, you know. And it was interesting to read about this one a little bit. I read a far more on it than I needed to this week, but it's sort of interesting to talk, to catch yourself exaggerating an experience. It was so amazing. <laughs> and you know, and you, and you get you just fantastic, you know, whoa, 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 and you just over puff something up for whatever reason. Uh, that kind of language. Um, yeah, when you're married and you use that always never thing, you always, you never, you never. And you know what happens to the person that's hearing that? You know what they immediately do? They immediately start to tell you why that always and never is a lie. Because it's not true. You, you, you exaggerate because you want something. That's just one simple way we do it in marriage. But we don't let each other get away with that. Then we get off the topic because now we're worried about the always and the never. Because that kind of untruth, even that simple untruth, when you know your spouse is right about the main issue, still that untruth, you can't live with it. And you'll cause another problem. Isn't that amazing? Because you can't live with that untruth. Don't accuse me of that. I didn't do it. It's amazing. Then there's just deception where you mislead or you create a false impression uh, of yourself or um, of something or someone else. You know, business, you're creating these, these making promises that, and, and, and exaggerating about things, and you're just deceiving people. These are kind of political lies, really. And then there's benevolent lies where you, you really needed to say an honest thing to a person, you know, no, that outfit does not look good. It just doesn't, you know. Uh, when you really should have said something else. Anytime you communicate truth, you've got to be careful with it. Truth's tough. You've got to be sensitive to each other 
we still have to be truthful. And so I would wrap it up by saying this about kingdom people. Um, This is what I would say. Uh, The first thing I would say is live in reality, the one God made. Quit trying to make life yourself. Uh, USA Today had an article this week. You're being fed lies. How Americans can find truth in the age of misinformation. I read the article. You're not finding it in there. Uh, they do adequately describe the assault on our sense of shared reality that nobody in any, almost any level right now is operating with any kind of truth. It really makes chaos out of the world. I told you some months ago, Jordan Peterson said, truth is a terrible thing, and it is. It's a terrible thing. But falsehood is worse, he says. And whatever happens after truth is told is the best thing that could happen, even if it's hard. So when you live in reality, you acknowledge God's presence and control over a situation so you don't have to manipulate it. You say, God, whatever is, is. I want reality because I want you in control of it. If I create my own reality, I've ousted you. I can't do that. I can't, I can't control life like that. So catch yourself. Giving false impressions and manipulating and deceiving. Here's the second thing I would say really quickly. Uh, not only live in reality, but allow others to live in truth. Sometimes we make it really hard for people to be truthful because we're so mean when we hear truth. You know how you say sometimes to people, you know, I really want you to be honest. How many times have you said, listen, please be honest, when that's not really what you want at all? And when you hear it, you make it, you make me never want to tell you the truth again. Someone came up to me after the service and said, my parents did that to me. They made me feel so bad over something that I never wanted to be honest with them about whether or not I did it. Parents do it. I guess bosses can do it. Let's create a world where, we're a l- where people can be honest and we're not forcing them to have to say no to the ogres that we can be. As if you were some picture-perfect person of, of truth. Be gentle with people. Give them the space in your life to be honest, to say yes to you or to say no to you. Give them that. That's a great gift to receive someone, that I'm going to let you be honest, and I'm going to let you say what you need to say, or I'm going to let you just be a yes or a no person. That's what Jesus is saying. Because Jack Nicholson was right. You can't handle the truth. And that is a God-awful truthful statement. So, to close this, I would say two things. This is my invitation. 
Face the hard truth about yourself right now. This is what I had to do. I went into this talk going, I'm not really sure where this is going to hurt me at, but after a whole week of, of watching myself, let me just say to you, I am a deceitful person. To say that out loud is almost more than I can bear. And I wonder if you can. Maybe you say to yourself right now, with your lips, move your lips. Don't just say it in your mind. That's a cop-out. Say with your lips outside, I can be deceitful. Can you do that right now in your own lips? Can your lips move and say that? That's the first thing you got to be able to do. That's the first truth today you need to face, and that is the truth that my heart is, is, can be deceitful. And the second one is this. The truth that Christ came into the world to save deceitful people. It's another truth you got to do something with. It's another truth you got to be honest about. That he can save your life. You know, I brought up the word logos. I don't usually do that. But the word saying is because in Christmas time here, the word became flesh. The logos, God himself, is the word. In other words, God himself is a statement, and he said something. He said he loved us. And you know what he did? John 1 says, and that's what Christmas is all about. The word became flesh. He did what he said. He said he loved us, and he came and gave his life for us. God keeps his word. The truth is, we are deceitful. Second truth is, there's a God who loves and saves. He spoke reality as the Lagos. And he broke into reality. And here's the real question right now. Yes or no? Are you going to take it? Yes or no? Yes, I need God to forgive me. Or no? Are you a yes or no on that? Well, we're going to take communion here in a moment. We're going to sing this song. And as we do it, it's an opportunity for you to just to reflect on your life. Communion, the elements represent God who sent his son, became flesh, and died on a cross. And Jesus said, I'm I'm going to give my body and my blood for you. Well, it couldn't be anything more graphic to bring that point home. So let's sing this, and I'll come back up. We'll take it together.